I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to 1 Peter chapter number 1 this morning. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 through 16 will be our primary text. This summer we are giving attention to church matters. Church matters. And if we were to look back to the formation of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we learn that the Holy Spirit was given in a special way as Jesus promised to baptize believers into Christ's body. The formation of the church, the church formed, is those who are in Christ. And we began the summer studying that from Ephesians chapter number one, the formation of the church, those in Christ. If we look around then to the current function of the church, described and prescribed in the epistles, we understand that the church is to be gathered together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, were gathered together as one body in spite of the diversity of its members. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, a reference to our previous studies. But now, If we were to look forward to the future of the church, beyond the formation of the church, those in Christ, beyond the function of the church, gathered together as one body in spite of our diversity, if we look forward to the future of the church, we learn that God has a very definite purpose for us, a purpose for us in the future. Ephesians chapter number one Verse number four, the Bible says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should, here's the purpose statement, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Later in Ephesians chapter five, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Purpose statement here, but that... She should be holy and without blemish. God's purpose for the church going forward, looking forward into the future, is that the church be holy. And my premise, my proposition for us this morning, it's printed for you there at the top of your notes, before you now on the screen, because God is holy, he purposed in eternity past to make his church holy for eternity future. Therefore, we must pursue holiness now. In fact, there are countless scripture texts that tell us this very thing. And at, the, at the risk of simply proof texting, in my introduction here this morning, proof texting my point, let me highlight some scripture texts as we begin. Romans chapter six, verse 19, present your members as slaves for righteousness for holiness. Second Corinthians 7 verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 12 verse number 10 tells us that God chastens us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. First Thessalonians 4 verse number 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's the very same word translated holiness. It's hagios. This is the will of God. Your holiness is what it literally says. And then I would point you not to the screen before you, but to your open Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, pick up in verse number 13, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, 1 Peter 1 verse 13, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. This morning I have prepared a message of most importance, a most important church matter, and it is this, church be holy. Let's pause for prayer and then we'll look at the the scripture again. God in heaven, we humbly bow our heads and our hearts before you as our holy God. In fact, you are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. And God, we are quick and careful to acknowledge that, but then also to recognize that you have purposed for us to be holy. As individuals and corporately as a church, you've called us to this, to be holy ones or saints. I pray, God, that you would instruct us by your spirit from the scripture text this morning and that you would conform us to the image of your holy son, Jesus Christ, that we might be Christ-like, your Holy Spirit, that we might be spiritual, that you might make us like you. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're following in your notes the outline that I prepared for you, we begin our study of holiness, of course, by considering the holiness of God. But what exactly is holiness? The word holy occurs more than 600 times in your English Bibles. It means to be set apart, to be separate from, to be different or distinct. We can understand holiness in these ways, not in your notes, but, but consider these, these ways. First, holiness can be understood in a, in a spatial sense. One author has put it this way, when someone or something is holy, it is set apart, In the Gettysburg Address of 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared the Civil War battlefield in Pennsylvania to be hallowed ground or holy ground. Because of the momentous events that took place in Gettysburg, Cemetery Ridge and Little Round Top would be forever set apart. No longer ordinary or commonplaces, but ones with special significance consecrated for special commemoration The battlefield at Gettysburg would be holy ground, a place set apart. And so in one sense, holiness describes that which is set apart, separate, different, distinct, designated as apart from others. Okay, but why? What makes a place or a thing or a person or a being holy What makes Gettysburg worthy of being separated from all other places? And that's its, not just its spatial sense, but its qualitative sense because of who or what it is. And holiness can be understood spatially and qualitatively. God's holiness is his absolute purity. Qualitatively, he is absolutely pure. He is complete righteousness without sin. He is complete light without darkness. He, he is truth without error or lie. And so if we put these things together, we would say that God's holiness is the distance between his perfections qualitatively and the rest of creation. God's holiness is the distance between 
his perfections and the rest of creation in general, which is why Isaiah 40 verse 25 asks, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. There is no one to whom God can be compared side by side, spatially, for he is holy qualitatively. And because God is holy, he has called his people to be holy, both Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. Our necessary pursuit of holiness is predicated upon the fact that God is holy. And we know this. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter six, verse number three, and Revelation four, verse number eight, uh, gives us a description of, of God's throne room, of, of heaven. And there the heavenly beings are around the throne of God, and, and they didn't find it sufficient to simply declare God to be holy. They had to repeat it saying, holy, holy, holy. And note this, that nowhere else in the Bible are we told that, that God is mercy, mercy, mercy or that God is love, 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 or that God is justice, 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 or God is wrath, wrath, wrath. However, we are told that he is holy, holy, holy. And even then in heaven, the threefold uh, worship of holy, holy, holy wasn't sufficient. The heavenly beings had to add the whole earth is full of his glory. And that is God's essence and his attributes, his being and his character, his infinite purity and perfections. God's holiness is his unsearchable glory and majesty, his transcendence. It's what separates him from and above all the rest of of creation. Exodus 15 verse 11 asks, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? 1 Samuel 2, verse number two, no one is holy like the Lord for there is none beside you. So how can we understand the one who has no comparison? There is no simile that we can say, well, God is like or God is as. God's holiness is beyond our greatest imaginations as fallen and finite creatures. In his classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer has written this. It's copied for you there in the back of your notes. I'll put it before you there on the screen. A.W. Tozer says, neither the writer nor the reader of these words, that is his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which by the way, I would commend to you. It's a Christian classic. Neither the the writer nor the reader of these words is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of our minds to allow the sweet waters of truth that will heal our great sickness to flow in. We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concepts to the highest degree we're capable of. He continues, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. So, folks, I've introduced an impossibility here. What do we do when we muse on the holiness of God? I don't know. Other than to worship. 
We ascribe worth to God. We worship holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. This week in your Summer Home Bible Fellowship meetings as you gather as small groups, discuss the depth and the breadth of the holiness of God. Do the impossible. Discuss the holy character and essence of God and, and the attributes of God and perhaps work around the room. Perhaps you're, you gather in a, in a living room or a family room or a den or a, a back deck and, and, and perhaps just see how long you can go in naming the attributes of God. Ascribing worth and worship to God. Discussing the holy character of God. Make your small group this week a worship service. Many theologians consider holiness to be God's primary attribute. But I would contend it's not even an attribute. It's the very essence and the core of who God is, of the divine. The Bible tells us that God's name is holy. His word is holy. His law is holy. His promises are holy. His works are holy. His ways are holy. His wrath is holy. You say, okay, Pastor Matt, enough already. We get it. We understand, we accept that God is holy, but what are its implications and impact to my life? What does this mean for me as a, as a New Testament believer or as us as a church? Author Paul Tripp says this, and again, it's on the back of your notes. He says, first and foremost, the doctrine of the holiness of God sits at the center of the grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the holiness of God, there would be no moral law to which every human being is responsible. Without the holiness of God, there would be no divine anger with sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no perfect son sent as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no vindication of the resurrection. Without the holiness of God, there would be no final defeat of Satan. Without the holiness of God, there would be no hope of, of new heaven and earth where holiness will reign over us and in us forever. Because God is holy, there are great implications. And then we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, which cites God's command to Israel in Leviticus and calls us to be, as a church, to be holy. And so I'd offer you, number two, the holiness of man. And this is really where we, we want to get now, practically speaking. Because man, well, I'll put it this way. The, the holiness of God begins first with, with positional, the holiness of man begins first with positional holiness. And, and, and think with me of this. Because man is created in God's image, man can share many of God's attributes. We, we call these the communicable attributes of God. For example, man can demonstrate love and mercy and faithfulness, these are the communicable attributes of God. Obviously, we, we demonstrate those attributes to a lesser extent than God, for we are fallen and finite creatures. But on the other hand, there are attributes of God that we cannot share. We cannot share all of his attributes. There are incommunicable attributes. For example, God is eternal, having no beginning and no end. 
God is immutable, never changing. God is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. God is infinite. These are characteristics and attributes that only God possesses. They are not communicable. They are incommunicable. We cannot share those attributes. So what of the matter of holiness? And this is a bit unique because holiness isn't something that we can share or something that we can demonstrate apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about the holiness of man, we must begin with positional holiness. Holiness is something that must first be imputed to us positionally. And only in Christ do we become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. When we call on the name of the Lord in salvation, and I hope that is your testimony this morning. And at that time, we become a holy one. We become a saint. The English word saint, it's the Greek hagias, means holy. For example, when Paul wrote to the, to, to the churches in his epistles, he identified the members of those churches. He, he said, you are called to be saints. You are called to be holy ones. To the Romans, Romans chapter one, verse number seven, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. It's the word hagias, called to be holy ones. And so the born again believer is a saint, a holy one positionally because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to us. But beyond our positional holiness then is um, there is a practical holiness. And this is where 1 Peter chapter one comes in this morning. 1 Peter chapter one, the main verb is found in verse number 15. You see it there, the command is to be holy. Now be careful to note, it doesn't say be as holy as God is, right? That's, that's impossible. However, we are to be holy because God is, is holy. And the million dollar question for us this morning is what does that look like in real life? How can I achieve any degree of practical holiness beyond my positional holiness in Christ? How do I achieve any degree of holiness? Is, is holiness a matter of my personal appearance? Is holiness a matter of my speech or my language? Maybe my recreation and my entertainment? Or perhaps my thinking? The answer is yes and yes and yes and yes and yes. Look at verse 15. First Peter 1 verse 15, the command is to be holy in all your conduct, in the home, on the job, in the community. Now be careful. I'm not suggesting conformity to rules for the sake of self-righteousness. That's the problem of external Pharisaism. That's exactly what Jesus was teaching against in Matthew chapter five, as was read corporately for us this morning. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is a practical impossibility. So be careful that this is not self-righteousness, this is not external Pharisaism. However, there must be something in our conduct that is spatially and qualitatively different between believers and unbelievers. Spatially and qualitatively, there must be distance between the church and the community, for we are to be set apart and separate. Qualitatively, there must be some difference between us and the world. We are unique and we are distinct as holy ones, as saints. And, and I run the risk in this moment as sounding like an old school hyper-fundamentalist legalist. You understand, 
where I'm treading, but I would lament that too often we look and act and sound more like the world than Jesus Christ. I would lament and contend that we are too often conformed to the world, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, and not conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans eight, verse 29. Our salt has lost its savor, folks, and our light is hidden under a bushel. We are more worldly than we are godly. But we object, well, does this mean that that I can't wear clothes that are in style? Does this mean that we can't have any fun? Does this mean that we must live like the Amish or medieval monks? What about music and movies? And there there are countless scenarios that we could discuss. And we're always clamoring for permission to, to be less holy and more like the world. I'll leave it to your small groups this week to spend some time on discussing what does holy conduct look like. Is it your haircut? Is it the length of your skirt? Is it your preset radio station in your car? Is it your Netflix list? What does holy conduct look like? How are we spatially and qualitatively set apart for God from the world? But rather than just leaving it at that, the Apostle Peter, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, does help us a bit. And he gives us some principles in this text. And it's always important that we work from the principles to the particulars. If you begin with the particulars before understanding the principles, you'll you'll be misguided and, and frustrated. So first, Peter states it in the negative. He says, we can pursue holiness in a practical way, practical holiness, first letter A, by not conforming to former lusts. And I point you back to verse 14, 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Now think of yourself formally. Formally, as unbelievers, we were disobedient. Ephesians 2, 2 calls us sons of disobedient. Sons of disobedience. And, and Peter even explains this. Turn the page to chapter four. First Peter chapter four, verse number three. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime. This is formally. Peter's saying, formerly, this is who you were. We spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, the world. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regards to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them anymore. You're different now. You're distinct now. You're separate from them now. Back in chapter one, verse 14, the end of verse 14, Peter says, not only were you disobedient in the past, you were also ignorant in the past. It's in Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them of the blindness of their hearts. And that was even Paul's testimony in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. He, he said that he, he did the things that he did, persecuting the church, blaspheming the name of God in ignorance. But folks, things are different now. 
Something's happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. The chorus says, things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. But the trouble is that even after we have been positionally set apart and declared holy, called by God to be saints, after our conversion, the same attraction calls to us, come again. Taste and enjoy the former things, the previous life. You can be a Christian. This is what the wicked one will whisper in your ears. You can be a Christian and still live the good life. Conduct yourself as you did before. Whatever holiness is, and you figure it out on Wednesday evening in your small group, whatever holiness is, it is different from, it is distinct from, it is separated away from your former ignorant life as an unbeliever. But now God has called you to be holy. I think of Old Testament Israel. It was only 15 months after being delivered from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. You remember the Exodus. They, they received God's law. His handwritten revelation at Mount Sinai. But the Bible says that the multitude yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the former. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Oh, to go back to Egypt. Oh, to go back to the former life. What was Israel's thinking? They were chosen by God. They were set apart from God, but for God and they were delivered. God told them in Deuteronomy 7, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Therefore, separate yourselves from the nations around you. You understand this history. Israel was on their way to the promised land, but couldn't they endure the journey because of the destination? It was Moses' testimony in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I think that's practical holiness. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt. That's holiness not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And and folks, here's the principle. Peter's readers, like the nation of Israel, had been chosen by God. Peter's readers were on their way to glory, and so they needed to respond in holiness by not conforming themselves to their former lusts. And so stated negatively here, Subpoint number one, by not conforming to former lusts, don't be like you were before because you aren't who you were before. You're different now. You're a holy one. You're a saint called by God. So practically speaking, by not conforming to former lusts, secondly, we, I think Peter states this positively in the positive sense, number two, by conducting oneself in holiness. You say, well, that's a little bit redundant, okay? But there's an important difference. Holiness is not just abandoning what we were before. That's verse 14, 
your former um, ignorance, disobedience and ignorance in verse 14. But it's also now being careful who we are and what we are now, and that's in verse number 15. Look at verse 15. Because he who called you is holy, this is the very essence of God, you also be holy in all your conduct. I think the NIV says in all you do. It's pretty inclusive. So we can't create a dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. Some think that Monday through Saturday is the occasion for secular conduct. Sunday is the day for holy living, but not so. Each day, all of our conduct is to be separated unto the Lord. And, And again, discuss this among yourselves as you meet this week. For this monumental tension in contemporary Christianity, how do I flesh out my faith in this flesh? How do I live as holy unto the Lord in a corrupt culture? There are scripture texts that you know well that provide us good counsel. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Maybe write it down, Romans 12, one and two. Another is 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Another is Colossians 3, verses one and two. If you are sincerely committed to living holy before God, Romans 12, one and two, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Colossians 3, verses one and two. Good counsel, there's other scripture texts that, that you might know or find. I leave you with this, 1 Thessalonians 4. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. As I stand before the Fourth Baptist Church, and I challenge us from the scripture text of 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, I declare to you that God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. He has called us to be saints, to be holy ones after his holiness, individually and collectively. That is his purpose for us. Folks, whatever we do as a church, whoever we are as a church, may we be who God wants us to be, set apart for him, a holy church. Let's pray. Holy God, We confess that we are often, in our conduct, more like the world than our God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit and your word would draw us to yourself that we might pursue you and your holiness. God, we struggle with the practical application of this what it looks like in the home, on the job, in our entertainment, recreation, our attire, our speech. Oh, but God, may you just convict us and compel us. We know this is your purpose for us, and so we ask that you would accomplish these things in us. Give us a passion to be like you in every way. May we be a people who are separated to you in holiness, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.